You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane. I'm at a loss. I don't know what to say to you because I'm just so <laughs> excited that the footy is back. Um, yeah, it's back. There's, there's no there's no woody intro. It's serious footy talk coming up now. Unbelievable. I, I'm shocked. I'm, at, I'm even more shocked than I normally am when you normally stump me with uh, some sort of uh, opening line. You've got nothing. You sure? This is how long we've been podcasting. I said this. I think we're... Right, episode 89 today. 89, there we go. So 89 episodes in, it's the first time you haven't had an intro. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just too excited about talking about the footy that's coming up and uh, we're down to six teams. We're going to have another two get the arse this week and it's pretty exciting stuff. It is. And we've spent most of the week talking about outside news because as always, and it, and it is always the case, particularly for the majority of teams that aren't still playing and their fans, and we know that we don't just have uh, fans of the teams remaining listening to the podcast, so... It's always the the news cycle, the trade period leading up to the draft. It's, as a fan, if your team isn't still alive, it's almost the most exciting part of the year. So we will touch on some quick news things here before we move into into the games. But we haven't really spoke about Geelong Collingwood a lot, so we've got to get stuck into that. And also the selections in for Richmond St Kilda. Uh, so we'll get to that as well after we hit these uh, early news pieces. First bit, uh, first couple of news items here, Kane. Both involve Melbourne and Hawthorne. Adam Uze is moving back as an assistant coach from Hawthorne to Melbourne, a highly regarded assistant coach. So he's uh, he's heading back to Melbourne there, leaving the Hawthorne assistant assistant coaching tree. Also on a Melbourne Hawthorne note, James Frawley has announced his retirement, of course, uh, played for Melbourne, played uh, ended up at Hawthorne, and now he's retired after 200-odd games. Not really much to talk about with Frawley. He moved, got a premiership, you know, did what he needed to do. Uh, the Uze one's probably a little bit more interesting with some of the Melbourne struggles, and he comes in with a, a highly regarded pedigree coming from Hawthorne. Um, what do you make of that? Well, the first thing I make of it, and I'm slightly embarrassed to admit this, but I saw all the, the tweets and the news uh, pieces coming through, and and I loved Adam Uze as a player, first of all. I loved watching him play. He was awesome. If you're a fan of long-sleeve jumpers, then you'll be <laughs> a big Adam Uze fan with the rolled-up sleeves. I didn't know his name was spelled A-D-E-M. That, that's cool from you. I literally, I literally uh, saw that because the AFL tweeted it out, and I was like, wait a second. I'm like, is that right? And then I saw everyone else, and I said, shit, this is a guy that I, I remember really, really enjoying watching him play, and I guess I never took any notice of that. That's, that is very poor by me. Who is your favorite long-sleeve player of all time? Um, James Bartel in the cold. Yeah, but he, he wasn't a, he wasn't an exclusive. <laughs> no, like, they're, they're, they're an exclusive long-sleeve. Like Kate Simpson? Yeah. Exclusive long sleever. Yeah. Um, James Hurd, pretty much an exclusive long sleever. He's not 100%, but 90% long sleever. Um, there's not that many of them around. Um, Brad Hardy was a big uh, long sleeve guy back in the day. Uh, Simon Atkins for the Bulldogs was a big long sleeve guy as well. Not There's not that many that are exclusive long sleevers. Yeah, probably the first one. I mean, obviously, uh, I've just mentioned Adam Uze. He stood out with the, with the rolled up sleeves. 
But probably the first one that I really took note of when I was watching footy as a kid was probably Sauce, Stephen Silvani. Oh, yeah, that's a good one too. So he was probably, I mean, he's probably the first notable long sleever I can remember. Yeah, I'd say in terms of the, the best long sleeve, it's got to be Hurd or Silvani uh, mm. of, of all time. Oh, Michael Tuck, another one. He was a, almost yeah. an exclusive long sleeve. We don't get. Is there any that actually exists now with uh, with Simpson gone? Uh, I don't know. I can't think of any off the top of my head. I'm I sure. could never wear the long sleeves. By the way, I got way too hot. Way too hot. We we didn't have at school. We didn't have a short sleeve option. Uh, only long sleeves, which is pretty frustrating. But uh, I believe now they've got the the short sleeves in. Uh, in a few years too late, but we only had the long sleeves in my team, which was uh, pretty frustrating. But that's we're not here to talk long sleeves or short sleeves. I said I was excited. One of the a couple other bits of news. Uh, it looks like Adelaide tried to bring Neil Balm across to get whatever is going on over there on the right track, but uh, unsuccessful. Well, listen, if you get Neil Balm, you're probably going to win a flag. I mean, that's the key. He's the key everywhere he's gone. Obviously, Geelong, Collingwood. Richmond, uh, maybe not Melbourne as uh, as coach back in the day, but uh, yeah, Barmy obviously has is really high, highly regarded around the league, and it's a smart move by the Crows. I mean, all we've spoke about over the last two years has been the Crows, uh, I guess, lack of leadership, lack of uh, organisation with the front office. It's been a disaster. They've lost a bunch of players. Obviously, they've gone from a grand final to uh, where they were this year in the space of three seasons. So. Uh, I think it's a smart move. I mean, they're, they're the type of moves you need to try and make. Barney said that he's going to stay at Richmond. I could hardly blame him uh, for doing that, staying in Victoria as well. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I was I was into the move. I was kind of happy to see that. Adelaide not messing around. Yep, uh, exactly. you got to make those moves. It doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. But you got to at least attempt it, and that's probably the right decision there. Now, we did talk about this a little bit yesterday and about Jeremy Cameron and perhaps him moving across to Geelong. Um the it doesn't appear like Cameron is going to be back with GWS at this point. I think that some of the comments about yeah, GWS's premiership window being closed might be a little bit premature, but mm. it does appear like he is going to be joining Core and uh, Williamson departing. Yeah, possibly. Another team that's come into the mix is, is Essendon, and this, this should not surprise anyone because no. uh, when we look at the, the players that they've lost, and obviously Danaher stands out, but as you also pointed to, uh, they are going to be in a position where they've probably got some free cash as well. And some of the other players mentioned with the Bombers are potentially on the move, including Hurley, uh, Hooker, obviously their older guys, and Fantasia as well. Looks like he's going to be moving uh, to South Australia. So there's going to be more players that leave the Bombers. For that reason, I would be a little bit surprised if Jeremy Cameron said, yeah, I'm going to leave GWS and go play for Essendon. But uh, I guess you never know how he's feeling uh, within the four walls of GWS. But certainly it does appear that Geelong are starting to move, uh, based on the reports that we've got, Geelong is starting to move into the box seat uh, to pick up Jeremy Cameron, no doubt. The Cameron to Essendon rumours have been around for a while, actually. I feel like I heard him almost a year mm. ago, in this time last year. I actually I wouldn't mind him moving there because then it also gives further evidence to the free agents only move to good teams discussion. <laughs> so like the, the most highly sought-after free agent at this point moving to the team that probably finished off the season as one of the worst in the league, <laughs> um, you know, despite being a, a really you know, high-pedigree club over the years and one of the biggest clubs that they've struggled for years and years and years. We know it's 5,000 days plus since they won a final. So that would um, yeah add to some of that. It's not just about being a good team that can bring these guys across. Mate, if he goes to Geelong, that probably shits all over that theory, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. But it does appear that it's really unlikely that he moves to uh, or stays back uh, in, in GWS, and we'll see exactly what they end up doing. But that's going to alleviate a lot of cap space concerns for them losing Williams, <laughs> and if they lose Cameron and Core, 
And then maybe that helps things out for you know, guys like we've heard whispers about Taranto and then you know, what happens with Josh Kelly and his you know, potential contract uh, extension trigger that they can come up in, in the next year or so. So that could help them in that sort of regard. But just one last thing now. We've done all that news. Let's move on to the finals because we've got 40 tonight. Richmond, St. Kilda, the teams are in. Um, the Saints team, Savage, Marsh, and Battle come in for Ryder, Carlisle, and Long. They were all names that were uh, talked about. There was a thought that Savage or Robertson would be that final um, in for the Saints, but it was uh, Savage who I don't think has played a final in like eight years from back when he was uh, with Hawthorne 2012. And then Richmond lynches back. Nathan Broad comes in, and then Mabio Chol is out along with Jake Arts. We talked about the Arts uh, getting the Arts yesterday, and uh, Chol joins him on the outer. So they're not going completely big. Yeah, Broad is probably the interesting one to come in. Now, he hasn't been in great form this year, but he is a two-time premiership player and basically been a regular in the team from late in that 2017 season. So he only came in in round 17, if we go all the way back to 2017. And then uh, from that point on, he's basically been in the team uh, right the way through. But this year, after round 15, he hasn't been seen. So he's missed the last few weeks. And I actually thought, and we spoke about this on yesterday's show, that I, I thought that once the news came in that Arts was going to be the one to get the Arts, uh, I thought that uh, the Tigers would uh, stick with Chol. I thought they would go big. I thought they would try and stretch the Saints. But potentially it's worked the other way. And they've thought, well, maybe we are going to be a little bit too tall because, as you mentioned, uh, Marsh comes in, a guy that at times has played a, you know, a, a decent role for the Saints this season, but he is only 192 centimetres tall. So he's not a traditional ruck. Uh, in that sense, or a traditional key position, tall size. I mean, 192 centimetres in today's game, I mean, it's it's midfielder. It's, yeah, it's midfielder it's, size. It's shorter so, than Paddy Cripps. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think maybe it might have gone the other way when they looked at it and thought, yeah, we, we maybe we need someone that's a little more versatile, and they've decided to go with broad. Yeah, it's, uh, that selection is interesting because we talked about them going big yesterday, and it hasn't worked yeah. out that way uh, with Richmond. Um Last thing, because we talked about this game quite a bit yesterday. Last thing on this one before we move into Geelong Collingwood in more detail. Um, wild cards for this game. We gave our wild cards for the entire final series a couple of weeks ago. But in terms of just this game here, on a St. Kilda point of view and from a Richmond point of view, who's, who are the wild card players we're looking at? Well, for St. Kilda, and, and this might seem a little bit obvious based on, on what we've spoke about from St. Kilda, Obviously, the fact that Paddy Wright is out. But for me, it's Roel Marshall. I don't think that there are a chance in this game to be really competitive and, and to even win the game if Roel Marshall doesn't have a big one. And Paddy Wright has played most of the season. He missed one game later on in the year. But prior to that, he basically played every single game except for the stretch from round four, five, and six. And this was when we were having the conversation on this show that we thought that maybe Marshall might be the preferred guy to just go one out in the ruck. And if you go back to the round four game against Richmond where the Saints won, Marshall did go uh, one out in the ruck. He had 15 disposals, kicked two goals, 25 hitouts, uh, and he was just a monster. He was huge. That was one of his breakout games for the season, and that was basically the reason why we thought he might be better off going uh, one out. He's played the, the second half of the season uh, more as a forward. He goes into the ruck, obviously, at, during stretches, but Paddy Ryder's hit work has been fantastic. So I, I think for the Saints to win this game, not only does Marshall... Is he going to have to ruck you know, 80 to 90% of this game? He's probably going to have to rest up forward as well and try and get on the end of a goal. But he has to be a monster around the ground. He has to take contested marks and, and be a real factor around the ground and a target for the Saints to kick to when they get bogged down a little bit by, by Richmond. So it's Rowan Marshall for me. He has to have a big game. 
And, and who do you, I mean, who even is going to be the backup ruckman for the Saints if they want to get him a bit of a spell? It looks to me like he's going he's gonna to have a big job ahead of him. Yeah, I don't really know who they're going to throw into into um, into the ruck if that's the case. Do they do they put yeah, Membry in there just to, to run smaller guys in there? Does Max King have a go at it? Probably not. I can't see him moving into mm. the ruck at all. I don't I don't know what they do in the ruck yeah. in this scenario. It is going to just have to be Marshall, but I guess they'd feel better that Richmond's really going to be just be throwing Nankervis in there the whole day. So not they don't have as many options with uh, Chol on the outs there. Sure, so. Yeah. It's just going to be much like it was in their round four clash. It was just Nankervis versus Marshall all day. My guy that I'm looking at here is uh, Jack Loney, who in the last seven games that he's played has kicked at least a goal. He's kicked two in a couple of those. He's getting involved in score involvements, um, can put forward pressure on, had a couple of games. Uh, you know, three of those last seven games he's played, he's had three tackles inside 50. Um just provide like six score involvements on the weekend against the Bulldogs. Took a couple of grabs inside fifty. He kicked uh, kicked a goal, kicked it behind. He's just a guy that is you know creating um, uh, options up forward, setting guys up, but also putting that pressure on and kicking goals himself. And just another another guy to, to pay attention to outside of that attention that Dan Butler gets down there. Just a second guy that's in that similar sort of role that you know, with Richmond putting the pressure on themselves. Uh, with we know their high pressure game, like someone like Loney, who's uh, putting scoreboard pressure on and a little bit of forward defensive pressure. I think that if he can pop up and keep this run of goal kicking going, that really does help them alleviate some of the uh, goal scoring pressure that they sometimes can be under. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes perfect sense to me. It's hard, you know, looking at the ins and outs. And uh, look, St Kilda are a team that uh, when they're at their attacking best, they can stick with anyone. There's no doubt about that. I think it's gonna. It's going to be in the midfield, though. I spoke yesterday about they're going to have to push the Tigers up the field and then race them back to the goals. I spoke about the eight shots within 25 metres that they had in the game earlier in the season. So for that reason, uh, for the Tigers, not even going to really go into it too much. But Dion Presti, a second game in. Uh, let's see how he pulls up for the Tigers because I do think if the Saints are going to have any chance, they're going to have to win the midfield battle. And Dion Prestia probably will go a long way to uh, determining whether the Saints can do that. So uh, Prestia, second game up. We'll see how he goes. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Marlon Pickett in this one just because he's been so up and down, but he can turn it on and be a little bit of a game changer if things go his way. It's not always going to go his way. Of course, you know, Shea Bolton coming back is going to be, or second game back is going to be interesting. He wasn't the same player he was uh, the first time these two teams met, but he's, you know, He's not quite a star, but he's establishing himself. So I'm going to go with Pickett as my wild card for Richmond. But we've talked a lot about this game. We haven't talked much about your blokes, about Geelong taking on uh, Collingwood on Saturday. So let's dive into that now. Now, we don't have teams out, which is annoying. Do you think the AFL has completely abandoned Thursday night teams as a thing now? I hope not. It feels uh... like they have, though, because there's no reason for teams not to be out for Saturday night today. Yeah, I mean, I think this year's just been a little bit funny. If they go back to the to the weekend games next year, then it would make sense to just name teams on on Thursday. But having said that, I've always kind of thought that it's it's kind of pointless because particularly if you're you're playing on Saturday night, you can just put in 25 players and you can make a change anyway. And when it comes to the Cats, we know the the late change. I think it's highly unlikely that Selwood would be a late change because I, I just think he's going to play no matter what. Oh, but fine, yeah. um, I mean, he, even if they name teams, you know he's going to be named and he's going to go through that fitness test regardless. So maybe maybe it doesn't matter, but for the purpose of, of us doing this show, it would be handy if we had something <laughs> to discuss. Yeah, that would be great for, for us to be yeah. able to, to have that. But I, I don't necessarily, outside of tradition, 
I don't really see the need for 6 p.m. Thursday night teams to be submitted. Like yeah. there, there, there doesn't seem to be a real need for it. Um, you know, a day ahead is probably all that's really needed outside of it creates your know, content for news, TV shows, websites to, hey, here are the teams on Thursday. I think they've shown that it can be, it's fine to do it this way. It's annoying for us, but you know, we're not the bulk of footy fans. I don't think people really care all that much if the teams come out that one day later. It does allow a little bit more uh, more certainty, I guess, for teams and for opponents. Well, this is this is the team, not something that's named. Yeah, we have your yeah, teams named for a, a Monday night game on a Thursday with extended benches. And then three <laughs> days later, you got to cut them down. Like, what was the point of that? But so it was always. I just jump in. It's always so funny to me because last year, I think it was 2019. I don't think it's happened as much this year, and it's probably just because of of what we're talking about, the fact that teams haven't been in early. But I know last year there was kind of this. Um, weird sort of fake controversy about the cats always making a late change and and people like genuinely seem to get annoyed about it and I always just like I didn't really understand what what's so annoying about it like you I I don't think that AFL teams are, are basing everything around this plan and if if the slightest thing changes then it's going to throw everything into chaos like I I've never really understood what the the frustration would be with a late change. I mean, if anything, if it's your team, you're you're pissed off that potentially you're losing a key player. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I never really understood the the frustration around late changes in the AFL. I think it's the only sport in the world that does this. That yeah. names the yeah, official names teams days in advance. I can't think of any. The, the NBA in terms of who's starting and active players. Last second disaster. Um, Premier League. You get those sheets out half an hour to an hour before the game. Yeah. Basically the same time where the official team sheets need to be in, in the AFL, which is like an hour before the game. But we have this thing where two days in advance, you know, teams are selected. You don't have a cricket team picked. You have a squad picked. Maybe you know, here's 13 blokes, but the team doesn't get picked until the day. Who's the 12th man that doesn't get selected until... Yeah. Yeah, there's just no other sport that seems to do that, but it seems to be this tradition that we hold on to. But let's not talk too much more <laughs> about that because we've got other things to talk about with this game. You said Selwood's going to play. He's going to play. I don't think there's any concerns with that. We've talked a little bit already about Collingwood and their big man their situation. Um, now, Kane, I'm going to save you the indignity of promoting your own work, but you did write something about uh, Brody Grundy right. for ESPN today and what's going on with him. It looks like Darcy Cameron's going to stay in the team to help, perhaps help him out. If you want to give us just a bit of a tease on that article and what maybe is going wrong with uh, Brody Grundy at the moment. Yeah, so I was just really fascinated, as everyone was really, but I haven't seen any type of analysis like this. It, it, when I hear people talk about why Brody Grundy was on the bench at the end of the game against Nick Natanui, even last night I was watching the Fox footy guys talk about it and they were like, uh, maybe he was just sending a message to Brody Grundy. Maybe he was just trying to fire him up a little bit. And I'm like, well, okay, I, I don't think with a minute left in the game and your season on the line, I don't think that's the time to send a message to your uh, superstar Ruckman. That, that wasn't the reason why it happened. So he's either injured, which Buckley obviously isn't going to admit, and we're not going to know until the end of the season. But maybe there's something else. And I looked into the numbers a little bit and um, got some help from Champion Data for this one. But in this game, Brody Grundy was really struggling uh, with, even when he was winning the hitouts, the Eagles were sharking his his taps. And this has become a trend for Brody Grundy. So before, from round 1 to 12, only 12% of Brody Grundy's hitouts were taken by the opposition. From round 13 onwards, including this final, that's jumped from 12% to 24%. 
And then the center clearance differential in that time span was plus 25 after round, tw uh, round 12, and it's minus 24 since. So I, I think that this has become a real problem. And it's either, again, Brody Grundy's not quite at 100%, or the opposition has done the work and they've figured out where the hit zones are. They've done their research on where Collingwood likes to go in the middle, and they're just getting the, the early jump on, on Brody Grundy where he's going. And I think that in this game, eight of the Collingwood center clearances that they had, or they had eight center clearances, five of those came when Darcy Cameron was in the middle. So I, I just legitimately think that Buckley knows those numbers because Grundy started on the bench at the start of the second half. He started on the bench at the start of the third quarter. So I think that Buckley understands that things aren't going well when Grundy's in the middle. And I think that's one, why Darcy Cameron came into the team in the first place. But two, why I think he'll stay in there because the, the center clearances are going to be crucial in this game. Yeah, uh, he. Uh, look, I reckon almost assuredly when Collingwood is out of this season that he is going to have some sort of surgery. There's an injury, but it's not just that. There is other things that are going on. And I think as with the answer to most questions in life and in the sporting realm is that if there's multiple, what is it? Is it this or this? It's often a bit of both. And I think it's a bit of both here that there's an injury that's impacting his ability to get around the ground, but that's probably not impacting why other teams are figuring out what he's doing in terms of being able to get their hands on the ball in center clearances. And that's why I always talk about here it's being a meaningless stat unless they go into your team and you're winning the clearances. They actually mean nothing. And if the opposition is reading what you're doing, then you're just getting killed in there. And that is something that this uh, this Collingwood team needs to pay attention to. And that is why Cameron will stay in because it gives them a different look. And I really think Cameron has impressed it most of the time that he's played this season. And let's see if he can do it again. Kane, it could be a um it could be a historic game from a Geelong perspective, not only them going out in straight sets and disappointing in the finals once more. Hello. Um, but it could be Gary Ablett's final game ever. Uh, a obvious legend of the game, a legend of uh, the Geelong Footy Club. This could be the final uh, final outing for Gary Ablett. Yeah, it could be, and he was pretty quiet last week, only had the 10 touches, and uh, overall, I mean, he started the season on fire, and unfortunately, um, through you know family uh, stuff, and obviously his son, uh, Levi, is, is unwell and has a degenerative disease, he missed you know, a fair portion of his, potentially, what could be his final season, and I, I guess he's, he's stuck to it and said that this is going to be it, who knows whether... Uh, the, the, however this ends up, whether he goes back and says, well, I missed half the season or whether he, it is time for him to, to focus on his family, who knows. But it would be sad. I mean, clearly I'm going to be sad. I mean, I love the guy, what he's done on the field and, and how, uh, I mean, he's been a star. I mean, he's been the best player I've seen. And uh, to see him go out, particularly in this way, if he doesn't have much of an impact and they do lose to the Pies, it would be a, a sad way to end it. But I do hope that he's, hope he's got a little, even if they don't win, I hope he's got a, a moment or two of magic left in him, whether it's a goal, whether it's a, a clearance, a burst from a clearance, trademark stuff um, from Gary Ablett that, uh, that we've all loved. Because even in the game against Sydney when he came back the other week, every time he got near the footy, something really, really, really good happened. I mean, he's still got all the class in the world. His skills are, are first rate. So uh, I do hope that he's got a, a moment or two left in him. I think he can still have those little moments. We've seen it yeah, during the, the course of this season that he's had those opportunities to really turn games around with some uh, some real classy forward play and, and the burst and setting guys up and kicking yeah, goals that you don't really expect him to kick himself. Um, yeah, re has really been yeah, good in that role and adjusted to that role pretty well. Um, before we get on to our wild cards for this one, is there any worry that... Collingwood has beaten Geelong the last two times that they've played each other, a qualifying final last year and then uh, over in Perth round seven this year? 
Oh, I think so. I mean, Collingwood certainly seems to match up pretty well with the Cats. Uh, last year, and and listen, this this feels like a little bit of uh, deja vu, but last year, the qualifying final, uh, the Cats did not kick well, <laughs> and Tom Hawkins did not kick well. And it was a very similar story uh, to last Friday night. They only ended up losing that game by 10 points, although for most of the game, it felt like uh, Collingwood was certainly in control. But straight kicking or inaccurate kicking hurt the Cats. The game earlier this season, uh, again, I, I thought that the margin probably should have been more. It felt like Collingwood completely dominated that dominated that game. It was pretty wet um, from the Cats' point of view, obviously. Uh, Joel Salwood pinged the hammy pretty, pretty early in that game. So we'll see. But the one thing that, that does stand out to me before we move on to the wild cards again is the Brody Grundy factor. Because in that qualifying final, I think he was unanimously best on ground. Uh, he had 21 disposals and 47 hitouts. In the game uh, earlier this season, he had 17 touches and 46 hitouts. The problem for Collingwood, and I think this is ultimately where the game is going to be decided, despite the fact they won the, the hitouts 94 to 59, Josh, you'll love this 94 to 59 across those two games. The clearance count was all square at 79 across those games. The Cats actually won it out of the middle 17 to 13. The Cats, when they win the clearances this year, are 12 and 1. When they lose the clearances, they're 1 and 4. That's a, that's a pretty decent start. Yeah, it is, and it just goes to show that having that structure around stoppages is, yeah, can be, and generally is more important than who gets their hand on the ball first in a in a hitout. Which is actually well, one thing about hitouts. Just a quick question from you: Do you give a shit about the ball being bounced up? Uh, no way. I mean, I was watching that game last week, obviously pretty closely, and some of the highlights they showed of uh, Razor Ray bouncing him up a, a couple of times. It actually really favoured Geelong from where he was bouncing it from. But when Scott, uh, Chris Scott came out and had a bit of a crack at him, I was like, yeah, I mean, this is getting ridiculous. Not only is he bouncing it three meters in the air, he's not even getting any height on it. He's bouncing it a meter to the left of the center. It's just weird. Just throw it up and just make it fair. It's, uh, I don't understand what we're doing. We cling so much onto tradition. In the, well, not we, but people who follow the game and administrators cling so much to tradition versus just make the game better. And they try to make the game better by doing other stupid shit. But just throw the ball up. The, the bounce, it's oh, what a spectacle. We love the sound of the ball hitting the ground on the last Saturday in September at the G and it flies into the air. Who gives a shit? Because then just throw it up. These umpires, they some of them can't do it. Some of them can do it. But it's a skill that's absolutely unnecessary. Just throw the ball in the air. It actually is... I think detrimental to the game that we still have that uh, as something that you know, consistently has to be called back. It happens all the time. And even and then, oh, should this one be called back? Shouldn't it be called back? Who's it favoring? It's just throw it up. There's no need for that to be something that, that happens. It needs to go away. It's not going away because people in charge of the game have some real uh, issues with uh, things that, you know, improving the game and avoiding those things. But that is another one of those things. It just it needs to go. It's uh, There's no point. But let's talk wildcards because... We we need to we need to look at who is a wild card. I'm going to go first here, and I'm going to say with Collingwood, um, yeah, is yeah, there's a few options here for Collingwood. The obvious one is Jordan Dugowie, but I don't really think that he is someone I'd classify you know, as as the true wild card. Um, I'm going to go with your boy uh, Isaac Quainer, because if he can get on the end of it and provide that run, yeah, break. Yeah, it was a little bit quiet last last weekend. Pies won. He only had 11 touches. He wasn't quite at his uh, at his level that he'd been at, but he is a guy that can get on the ender and provide real run out of that backline. And we know Geelong's slow-moving style, the, the, the backline, and breaking that up can be really key. So I think that if Quainor can get onto it uh, and get the ball in his hands a little bit more and just open that space up and make Geelong scramble a bit, it can be a, a real win for Collingwood. 
Yeah, I'm going to stick in the forward line. I went with Jaden Stevenson last week. He didn't have a big game. I'd be tempted to go with him again because I do think that he is the true definition of a wild card. I mean, we saw last week against the Cats, I said my wild card was Motlop. Uh, he, he didn't get a lot of the footy, but he kicked three goals and really broke the game open. So I'm going to go with Jamie Elliott, uh, a guy that doesn't get big disposal accounts, uh, but he, he can be a guy that can kick three or four goals. Only the one goal last week from his nine touches. Uh, so we'll see what Jamie Elliott could do. But he is... Not only is a little guy who can win the ball on the ground, he's got good hands, he can take Specky. So uh, Elliott is a bit of a wild card up forward for the Pies, no doubt. If he kicks three or four, it's hard to see the Cats getting over the top of the Pies here. Um, what about for Geelong? Is, are you going to have maybe you know, Tom Atkins center square uh, material? Is, is that going to be a wild card or you got a different one for me? Well, I actually am going with uh, the Redhead. I'm going with Gary Rowan. Oh, damn it. That's what I was going to go for. I'm going to scramble well, for another option now. Oh, we, we can both go with him if you want because he's got to deliver. We know that he's a low disposal count guy again, similar to, to Elliot, but he's only averaging eight disposals per game this year. But I don't really care about that because he's been one of the Cats' most important players all season long. They haven't always gone with the second tall forward. They started the year with Radigalia, but they moved away from that. And the reason for that is because Gary Rowan's been exceptional in the air. Not only can he take a mark, but he, he normally splits packs and then hits the ground as well for the front and center, so his own front and center. So Gary Rowan has been such an impactful player uh, for Geelong all season long. But in last year's qualifying final against the Pies, he only had three touches. Last week's qualifying final against Port Adelaide, he only had five touches. So that's even below his usual output for disposal. So the Cats, they're going to get something out of Gary Rowan, and that's part of, part of the reason the concern over him it's part of the reason why I think they might bring Radiglia back in there in case Gary Rowan just can't get involved. Interesting. Well, I, w- I was going to go with Gary Rowan there as well, um, but you've said it all perfectly. So I'm going to go with Luke Dalhouse, who mm. um, I had to look back because he's a proven finals performer, obviously. I did not remember yeah, him. Obviously, I remember him playing for the Bulldogs in their premiership run. He had 29, 23, 32, and 23 disposals in their four finals. I did not I did not remember him getting that much of the ball. Nine, seven, three, and eight tackles, forward pressure, um, taking some marks inside 50, but he was a key performer. I thought he played one of his better games for the year last week for, for Geelong. I think he's been he's nowhere near the player he was four years ago, but I thought he was, uh, yeah, the decision to move into the middle was asinine, but I thought that he was able to you know, provide some really good handball work, uh, link play, got enough of the ball. I thought he was pretty good last week, and he is that guy that can step up and provide some of that pressure as well. This Collingwood defense is hard to break. But Dalhouse, uh, in the high-pressure situations, he's a guy that can step up, and he looks to be playing some of the better footy he's played over the last three or four years. Yeah, I mean, Dalhouse, it's interesting, and that's why we just haven't seen it, and that's why I understood the criticism for him being in the midfield uh, last week, particularly at a really important stage. But as you sort of pointed to, I mean, 2015, he averaged 25 disposals. Uh, 2016, across the whole season, he averaged 26 uh, and then 25 in 2017, and since he's come to the Cats, 18 in year one, 2019, and then down to 13 and a half this year. So actually not that far off where he was at last year in terms of winning the footy, but it's because he's been a permanent half forward, a permanent forward pocket. He has just hasn't seen any midfield time at all, and as a result, his clearances have gone down from above three a game when he was at his peak uh, to this year uh, down at, at 0.6 a game. He's just not that clearance player anymore. His opportunities are, are really, really limited, and you're really just relying on him maybe uh, finding a, a short 
chip option inside 50 and, and having a set shot or maybe uh, collecting a, a snap. He's just become, as you sort of said, I don't think it's that he's not capable of being that player anymore. He just hasn't been asked to do it. It's It's been kind of fascinating to see how his career has panned out. Yeah, he has dropped off quite a bit, but I, I do think he's improved from where he was. He's only maybe. 28. Yeah, look, the last season at the Bulldogs, he, he was really struggling. He, he couldn't get any penetration on his kicks. He couldn't yep. hit any targets. His uh, pressure has, had dropped, and I think a lot of that had to do with unhappiness. And he's improved in his time in Geelong from, from that uh, period. Um, and I just think he's got that ability to, you know, much like we saw with Motlop against Geelong last week, just step up, have a few key moments, and not be necessarily that high possession guy. Now, we're going to end the show here, Kane, but we don't normally do this, but I think we'll do it for this. Let's give some uh, let's give some selections, I guess, for these two games. Richmond St. Kilda, any hope of an upset? Oh, I have, I've got strong hope because uh, as, a, as a neutral, I'm always going for the underdog. So I've got great hope for the Saints. I hope they can make it competitive, but I do think... I do think the Tigers will probably end up winning by four or five goals. Well, let me phrase it to you this way. Who has a higher chance of an ups- upset? Is it St. Kilda or is it Collingwood? Oh, well, I, I think, uh, and, and you can tell me this, I, I think anyone that listens to this show probably gets the sense that at times I can, uh, I, I'm not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a, a negative Geelong supporter because I'm always uh, pretty positive about the team and to think of ways they can get better. But I'm also um, pretty realistic, I would say that. And I, I think Collingwood... Geelong game, maybe. I mean, it might be 60-40 Geelong, but I think it's closer to a 50-50, whereas the uh, the, the Richmond-St. Kilda game feels like it's it's heavily favoured in the way of the Tigers. So, I mean, how big of an upset would Collingwood be if they beat Geelong? I guess that's the question I'm asking. Yeah, I think it's a marginal upset, but I agree. It's not as big of an upset as St. Kilda beating Richmond, but maybe we're just overvaluing Collingwood because they did the unthinkable and beat West Coast in Perth. Um, yeah. But I will say this. I will say this. And this happens every single year. Um, the team that wins the elimination final, and, and it's different because it's Richmond. If it was Brisbane, I, I guarantee you people would be talking themselves into St. Kilda winning that game in, yeah. in the media. It happens every single year. The team that wins the elimination final has all the momentum and people forget uh, that what's happened during the home and away season. We saw it last year with Geelong and West Coast uh, as well. I, I think Geelong actually went into that game, even though it was at the MCG, uh, betting the heavy underdogs um, to win that game, and I, I think they won pretty comfortably. It's just, um, it's just the nature of what you the, the recency bias. What you saw the the week before, I think, plays a big factor. Yeah, because that team that lost, they lost to a team that was really, really good, and the team that won the elimination final lost to a team that wasn't as good. So it's like, oh, well, this team won, this team lost. But in 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 general, it doesn't happen every year. A lot of these games can be real spankings. Yeah, 40, 50 pointers at, at times we've seen in the past where that team that loses then comes out and really puts the hammer down against those uh, other teams. But hey, we've seen plenty of times when those teams have gotten up and got the win. I don't really see any of them getting the win here. I think Richmond and Geelong should get the job done, but I would say that Collingwood would be the, the more likely team to get the upset, but I think that both Richmond and Geelong should be able to handle business here on Friday and Saturday night. What about uh, one last note here? What about Geelong and Collingwood this year? Right? First time they played at Optus Stadium in Perth. Second time they're playing at the Gabba in Brisbane. It's uh, it's a strange year. Strange it, year. It is. It is a strange year, and this will end our uh, our coverage of this strange year for this week, Kane, okay? because that is the end of Locked On AFL for this week. We'll be back next week to break down the results of both of these games. Thank you again, Kane. Thank you. Looking forward to uh, hopefully being in a good mood on Monday. Guys, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and of course on Spotify. Share it with your friends. Give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Rod Lester-Smith.